0: joining us this morning. JT, thank you for leading us today. Choir, that was excellent. Praise you and thankful for uh, the opportunity to come to the throne of God this morning in in worship. We've had a busy week uh, here at Gospel Baptist Church. Sometimes if you don't get the chance to go on our social media pages or uh, you don't stay connected, sometimes you can miss that. Uh, and We have a busy day today too, as you saw. I tried to get uh, Pastor Harley and Pastor Paul to let us just review the game last night uh, instead of watching um, the film, but they uh, disagreed. So I guess we won't do that. Um, it's a good game last night for Duke fans. That's all I'll say. Okay, I'll just stop there. All right. I got to quit saying that. I, I, uh, I've learned that sometimes people can just turn you off with the first words you say. So <laughs> I don't want you to do that this morning. Uh, But uh, we're thankful to gather this morning. On Thursday, we had the chance to do uh, our Day 5. Pastor Harley has done an excellent job leading that, along with Lee and and, um, Jim. I had a chance to to be in there. That group is great to be around. I I so enjoyed my time uh, with each each individual in there. So encouraging uh, just to spend time in God's Word. If you get a chance and you're not a part of Day 5... Uh, That's on Thursdays at 9 a.m. I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, They've done an excellent job leading that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2 this morning. We are continuing our series uh, through the book of Jonah. I've titled the series with a question, Are You Running From God? See, all of us, if we're honest today, have to admit that there is a spirit of Jonah inside each and every one of us. Because of the flesh, we have a desire sometimes to run from what God wants us to do. Uh, We try to avoid what God is calling us to do, and we have to push back against that. And that is why uh, we are looking at Jonah in order to capture what it means to turn away from running from God to running toward God. And what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 2 is exactly that. I read a story about a pastor this week. He was uh, addressing a problem, an issue in his congregation. There was a gentleman who had uh, become in trouble with the law, and he uh, had done that multiple times, and at this point the pastor had to address it from uh, the pulpit, and he got up to address the situation, and he said something, and I thought it was so good and uh, just so uh, apparent for our series today. He said this. He said, Never forget that your arms are too short to box with God. Never forget that your arms are too short to box with God. Jonah discovered very quickly that his arms were too short to box with God, didn't he? We find Jonah in chapter 2 in the middle of the belly of the whale. He had ran from God. God said, go to Nineveh. He said no and went the opposite direction. And so God sends a storm to the point that they could not get out of the storm in the middle of the sea on a ship. And so what do they do? They throw him into the ocean. Jonah is there floating away. And as I said yesterday, or excuse me, Sunday, probably smiling as he's drowning because he said, I have finally gotten out of what God wants me to do. But notice God is never done with the person until he's done with with the person right and so what does god do he goes after jonah he has mercy on jonah's heart and what god does is in the midst of chapter two he changes jonah's direction to go from running away from god to running toward god and the way jonah does that is by repentance changing his mind about the direction he's going god changes his mind and friends That leads me to what I want to get across today, and so I want to say this, and I don't want you to miss it. The remedy for our rebellion is repentance. The remedy for our rebellion is repentance. See we have a sin problem, and the way we get out of that sin problem is not by working harder, but by repenting and acknowledging that we can't do it alone. And we find Jonah repenting of his sins. Now you may ask, what is involved in imp- repentance? What is included when we look at repentance? What is included in true repentance? Well, I've outlined my message today because as we read Jonah chapter two, I've outlined it around three essential ingredients included in true repentance. Three. Essential ingredients included in true repentance today. If you're running from God today, if God is calling you to do something that you are not doing and you sense some guilt in your heart, or you know you should be doing this, here is how you run back to God. And by the way, you'll notice as we walk through the outline this morning, especially if you're following along in the weekly connect, each letter... The first letter of each point spells the word art. So I told the staff this week there's an art to repentance. All right. Now you'll never forget that. If there's nothing else, you'll remember there's an art to repentance. You'll see that as we go through each point today. So let's jump into God's Word this morning. If you have your place in Jonah chapter 2, look at verse 1 with me. It says this, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. You could imagine that he did pray right that's all you had to do at that moment that's all you could do is pray to the god of heaven jonah finds himself in the belly of a well, a belly of a fish whatever you want to say here and what does he do he le- he reaches rock bottom and he cries out to god And you say well well did where where did he cry out to god did he do it as he was entering the 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 mouth of the fish did he do it On day two, did he do it on day three? We don't know when Jonah cried out. What we do know is that he did cry out. And sometimes we can become so fascinated with the fish that we miss what God is doing in the heart of Jonah. And you also notice the person that is praying. Think about this with me. The rebellious prophet, the man who ran from God, the man who said no to God is the man who is praying at this point. That's a good point for us to remember. No matter where you are in life, you can still call out to God. You think about that for your life. You you can reach a place of rebellion. You can reach a place of complete sinfulness, anxiety, pride. And the Bible says you can still call out to God. You are far, far better off than Jonah is at this point, aren't you? And you can cry out to God. That's a, a good lesson for us to remember. And so Jonah cries out to God... Notice now, though, what does Jonah cry out to God for? What does he pray for? Look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 says this, And said, I, this is Jonah, cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, or Sheol, as some of your translations might say, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Verse 3, For thou or you. "...has cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas and the floods they encompassed or compassed me about." Notice here that the first thing Jonah does is he admits that he's wrong. Listen, friends, the first ingredient that you need to realize when it comes to repentance, when you come to a place where you have to realize that you are wrong, what you have to do is you have to first admit. Admission is the first ingredient of repentance. Acknowledging that you are wrong. Acknowledging that you are in this place because of what you've done. Notice Jonah acknowledges that he's wrong. He admits that he is the problem. And he also admits, you'll see here, that he's in this situation because of who? God's discipline on his life. What does verse 3 say? He says, For you or thou hast cast me into the deep. It wasn't the sailors. So we go back to chapter 1, and who cast him in there was the sailors. But in the midst of all that, God's hand, again, is working, and he is the one who cast Jonah into the sea. He's under God's discipline. And he's acknowledging that he's there because of what he's done. Have you ever been disciplined by God before? It's a painful experience. I don't know any Christian that has gone through the disciplining hand of God and has been happy about it, okay? The Bible even makes it clear that discipline is not an easy experience. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, it says, No discipline, what, seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Discipline is painful, but what does the Bible go on to say? God disciplines those he loves. See, the very reason that you are under God's discipline shows that you are a child of God. It shows that God loves you and that God is going after you. And God, in His mercy, by the way, gives you four ways that you can respond. You think about that. God is so merciful that He allows you to choose how you're going to respond to discipline. And God gave the same thing to Jonah, by the way. Notice here there are four responses in Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see this. As you gather your thoughts, and if you feel like you're in the midst of discipline in your life today, if you feel like God's hand is on you and he's trying to teach you something, he's trying to grow you, you have four responses to your life today. You have four responses to how God's dealing with you. Number one, number one, you can respond this way. You can despise and fight God. Notice that's what Jonah did, didn't he? You go back to chapter 1, what did he do? No, God, I'm not going. He fights God. Number two, you can become discouraged and faint. You can say, I quit. I quit. I'm not doing this. What does Jonah do? He does that too, doesn't he? He reaches each position. Number three, you can resist and invite more of it. That's a terrible place to be. Resist God's discipline, and you're going to invite more of it in your life today. Jonah did that in his heart as well. Number four, though, this is where you're supposed to be, and this is where Jonah finally reaches his place in Jonah chapter 2. You'll see this. You can do number four. You can submit to it and grow because of it. And that's where God wants you to be. But many times we have to go through all three responses before we get to number four. (laughs) Have you ever been there before? God, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to become discouraged. God, you're going to bring more of my life, and finally, you're going to break me. God breaks Jonah here in chapter 2, and Jonah at this point is not rejecting the will of God anymore. He is not rejecting what God is calling him to do, and in fact, we'll see next week that God actually re-enlists him in the work of God. God is so gracious that we'll learn next week that he gives Jonah a second chance. Same thing with you. Not only does he give us second chances, over and over and over again, God gives us second chances. And he does that with Jonah. And so Jonah, though, before he gets back into the work of God, he has to repent. He has to acknowledge. He has to admit that he is wrong. Verse 4 tells us this. He said, Then I said, I am cast out, or some translations might say, expelled out of thy sight it's my fault God you are disciplining me because I did the wrong thing I admit that I am wrong do you know what a mission takes admission takes a whole lot of humility we don't like to be humble though see it, we are not wired to actually pursue humility in our life. I'll tell you this, every time I step up to the pulpit, you know what I say? I say, Lord, humble the preacher. You know why? Because I'm prideful as they come. See, we struggle with humility. We, we struggle with pride. Have you ever been there before? You've been caught and you try to justify. You've been found out and you try to hide what's going on. I mean, I've been there. I remember as a kid, many times, my parents would catch me doing something, and what would I do? Oh, it's my brother's fault. But mom and dad, you know me. I just, I have a problem with that. Right? You have been there before? We all struggle with it. I'll tell you a story. I have learned in marriage, I've got to preface this, okay, before I say something I shouldn't say, right? I, I did ask for permission to do this, okay? So if anybody's asking... They always told us, make sure you ask your wife before you say anything about your wife. Okay, I did preface this. I, 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 um, as I thought about this, when, when Hannah and I got married, they, the first six months of our marriage were the most difficult six months of our marriage. I'm an extrovert, okay? I've told people I can talk to a wall and, like, be happy. You know why? Because a wall doesn't talk back, okay? You can, my wife's an introvert. I remember many days we'd, we'd leave church early in ministry, and I'd be so pumped. Because I was talking to people, things were happening. I said, Hannah, God is working. Look at all these things going on. And she would be like completely depressed because she used all her energy and she said, Nick, just be quiet. (laughs) I'm like, come on, look at all these things happening. And I had to learn the first few months, my wife, man, she has to recharge. Listen, I get charged from people. She has to recharge. And I thought she was the problem, right? (laughs) I said, my wife's the problem. No, I was the problem. <laughs> I remember many times we'd have a, um, a spousal spat. Anybody know what that is? Anybody have a, a spousal spat? Okay, good, like four of you. The rest of you have reached perfection, okay? <laughs> we had a, a, a spousal spat. I remember the first one we had. We were seven days into marriage. Got back from our honeymoon. I was getting up early to prepare for uh, church that morning, took a shower, Hannah's still asleep. I got in the shower. Now, I grew up, I grew up that you, you always had a bath mat. Okay, anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you had to put a bath mat down. Okay, you got out of the shower, put the bath mat down, take the towel, you step out, and you dry off. That's what normal people do, okay? Like, the rest of you, they don't do that. I don't know what's wrong with you, okay? My wife did not grow up that way. Okay, she didn't grow up with a bath mat, all right? I, I don't know how she grew up, but she didn't grow up with a bath mat. So I remember the first Sunday, we, 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 I was getting prepared, and uh, I didn't notice because I just thought, you know, the bath mat just appears because that's what happens as a kid. You know, your mom just takes care of you. Well, it wasn't there. Well, I got down in the shower. I said, well, there's no bath mat here. So I got really smart, and uh, I saw this hand towel. <laughs> so guess what I did? like any man would do, I grabbed the hand towel, okay? Listen, let me give you some advice, men. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. So I grabbed the hand towel, and I put it down. I dried off and didn't think anything about it. I got home that day, and the house erupted in one of the largest spousal spats I've ever had in my life. (gasps) And I remember th- thinking, what's wrong with this? This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to live. Get on board, Hannah. This is how it's going to be. Right? <laughs> we were arguing. I'm telling you what, we went days not talking. And I said, I'm not going to talk to her until she admits she's wrong. Because I'm right. I'm not going to say a word to her until she acknowledges that she's the problem. Another piece of advice, men, don't do that either, okay? (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) I said, I dug my heels in. Three days went by. I said, I'm going to have the victory. She's going to admit she's wrong. And I I remember on that third day, she called me into the room, and I I sat there and thought, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I'm going to have the victory. She called me, and she said this. Nick, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of feeling this way. I am wrong. Will you forgive me? You would think at that moment, I'd feel a sense of victory. You would think at that moment that, man, I'm the one in the right. She admitted it. And I'm telling you, you know what God did? God took a a baseball bat, spiritual baseball bat. And you know what he did? Slapped me right in the face said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Guilt came over me. I said, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. God used that time of my life to teach me that if I'm ever going to admit, it has to start with humility it has to start with humility acknowledging that you are wrong and by the way by the way some of the hardest words to say in the english dictionary are these three words i am wrong i am wrong and notice there there's not another word after wrong it's not i am wrong but or or i am wrong and let me just tell you that I'm really wrong because of this situation. No, it says, I am wrong. See, true admission never involves justification. Notice that now. True admission never includes you justifying your sin. If God is ever going to move in your life, is he's ever going to bring you back to a point where you are serving him, living for him, you have to truly admit, and that takes a whole lot of humility. There are Christians in this room today, there are Christians watching online this morning that say, well, God will never discover what I'm doing. Have you ever met somebody like that? Oh, God doesn't know what I'm doing. God, God doesn't care what I'm doing. Friends, listen, if you're a Christian today, that is a dangerous place to live. The most dangerous place to live is not overseas in a third world country. The most dangerous place to live is not on the streets. The most dangerous place to live is out of the will of God. It's out of the will of God. Don't ever think that God doesn't see what you do. There's two verses I've put to memory in my life today. Two verses because I want to be scared to the core about being out of God's will. I want to be scared to the core about sinning. Two verses. Mark these down in your life. In fact, I'd encourage you this week to put them to memory. Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch over the good and the evil. And then this one, by the way, scares me to death. Psalm 44, 21. The psalmist says this. Would not God discover this? Because he knows the secrets of the heart. And you think you're gonna get away with your rebellion. You think you're gonna get away with your sin. The Bible says, oh, be careful. God will meet you right in the middle of your sin. What did he do with Jonah? He met him in the middle, and God will meet you there too. Be careful. So, friend, are you dealing with something today? Are you running from God? Are you struggling with a sin? Are you dealing with something in your life that God is not pleased with? The Bible says there's a remedy for that. It's repentance. And the first step in repentance is admission. The first ingredient is to admit your wrong. And by the way, I love this. 1 John 1 9 says that what? If we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful that you have a God today who forgives you even though you mess up? God is faithful, so admit it. Number two. Number two, I want you to see this. Not only do we have to admit, but the second important or essential ingredient in repentance is restoration. Restoration. Notice that when Jonah admitted that he was wrong... When he admitted that he was the problem, the Bible says that God began to restore him. Notice verse number four, I want you to see this now. then said, "I." Or then I said, "I am cast out of thy sight, yet I love this. I will look again toward thy holy temple." In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, when a prophet or a man of God or a woman of God would use that phrase the temple of god it would be a statement of recommitment or or a statement of rededication they were rededicating their lives as they looked to the temple they were saying god hear my prayer of rededication god hear my prayer of Confession actually goes all the way back to King Solomon in 1 Kings 8. For sake of time, I won't read that, but if you want to go look at what this verse is referring to, it's 1 Kings 8, 38, and 39. Solomon is dedicating the temple, and he says, God, anytime somebody cries out to you, anytime somebody looks toward the temple, will you hear them? So Jonah, as he's floating down to the bottom, or sinking, rather, to the bottom of the sea, he has this verse this reference in mine and he's claiming this promise he knows that regardless of what he does if he's to look this direction if he's to call out to god god will hear him god will hear him notice where jonah's at at this point look at verse 5 with me the waters compassed or overcame me Even to the soul, the depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. Verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Notice, though, in verse 5, Jonah feels like he's about to die. He's actually at the point where he says, God, I am no more. God, I'm claiming your promise, but I feel like I'm going to lose my life. He's at rock bottom. And I just wonder if God brought him to rock bottom in order to get his attention. I wonder if God brought him to the bottom to make sure that he'd pay attention. Don't God do that with us? Have you ever noticed that God has to bring you really low before he can get your attention sometimes? God has to bring you to rock bottom before... He can get your attention to turn away from your sin. You think about the prodigal son. What did the prodigal son do? He's eating the food of the pigs, right? And what does he do? He comes to his senses, doesn't he? And he says, I don't want to do this anymore. But he had to reach that point before God could get his attention. And friends, here's a lesson for us today. Mark this down. I don't have any of your notes today, but I want you to see this because maybe some of you are here today. Sometimes God brings you to rock bottom so that he can get your attention and drive you to your knees. Sometimes God has to bring your family member to rock bottom. Sometimes he has to bring your child, your friend, your coworker, your own soul to rock bottom before he can get your attention. And Jonah finds himself there and he cries out to God, but what does God do? We just read it in verse 6. I love it. Let's read it again. Look at the end of verse 6 here. What does God do? Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. That's a good reminder that no matter how far you go, God can still reach you there. Aren't you thankful today that God can reach down in the pit of sin and pull you out of it? And by the way, aren't you thankful that God has reached down? Many of you in this room, most of you, hopefully all of you, has reached down and pulled you out of the pit of sin. Praise the Lord today that he can go down to the bottom of the sea to pull you up. This is the first time, too, we see Jonah actually going up. Notice from the beginning of Jonah chapter 1, what does Jonah do? He goes down, doesn't he? I pointed that out last week. He, what did he do? He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down to sleep. He went down into the water. And then he went down into the belly of the fish. And now we see what God do, change his direction. He goes from running away from God to running toward God. He goes from ignoring God to, as verse 7 says, remembering God. See, Jonah was running, but God in his mercy went after him and pursued him and called him back. And now Jonah, love this, has a testimony to tell. He has a gospel to share. Sometimes God will bring you to rock bottom in order to give you a testimony to proclaim to somebody else. Think about your life today. Sometimes God, and I love this 2 Corinthians chapter 1, talks about how God takes your misery. And sometimes because of your sin, Romans 8 even tells us, because of our sin we're in misery, but sometimes God can take your misery and use it for ministry. He can take your pain and make it become your passion. It's exactly what God's doing with Jonah here. But notice, God has to give mercy to Jonah before Jonah can go and preach mercy to somebody else. Did you catch that? God has to allow Jonah to experience mercy before he can go preach mercy to somebody else. And you say, well, why, Pastor Nick? Why does that have to happen? Because when you truly experience God's mercy, you will do everything in your power to proclaim God's mercy. You see, Jonah had to experience God's mercy before he could proclaim God's mercy. I was talking to Cindy Hilton this week. She does a fabulous job cleaning our facilities here, and she was walking through the hallways on Monday, and we stopped to talk about Uh, some people that she's witnessing to, and she has a passion to see her neighbors come to know Christ, and she's praying for the opportunity to invite them uh, to Easter this Sunday. And then she said this, and I thought it was so good. She said, my neighbors know I'm a Christian. I'm always talking about it. And then she went on and said, I do this because when you realize how much God has done for you, how can you not share it with somebody else? That's good, isn't it? When you realize how much God's done for you, how can you not share it with somebody else? When God has your heart, when the mercy of God has a control of your life, you will burn to tell somebody else. I think it was John Wesley who said, literally, lead somebody to Christ, set them on fire, and the world will watch them burn. They'll watch them burn with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Pastor Nick, I don't have a passion. I'll be honest with you, I don't always have a passion either. I'll be honest with you, I'm not always passionate about praying, preaching, and evangelizing. You know why? Because of the flesh. Because I'm a sinner. Because I don't always care about the people that need to hear Christ the most. I don't always understand mercy. I don't always have to experience of mercy, and so I don't always have a passion. Listen, friends. If you don't have a passion for the lost person, if you don't have a a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to check your heart for Jesus Christ. I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm questioning your motivation. I'm questioning your motivation. We say, "Well, how do I gain a motivation?" How do I gain a passion for Jesus Christ? How do I gain a passion to tell people about Jesus? By the way, Easter's coming up. That's one of the easiest times to tell somebody about Jesus. And if you say, well, I'm not comfortable doing that. I've never done that. That's okay. That's okay. That's why we gather on Sunday morning, right? Invite them to church. That's an easy invitation. It's an easy invitation. Great opportunities the next few weeks to evangelize somebody. Tell somebody about Jesus. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. You've got a whole, a whole day that people are soft the gospel, right? So how do you gain a passion? You say, well, Pastor Nick, I, I want to ignite a passion. I want to be set on fire. What am I to do? Four things quickly. Now, these aren't all the things you're supposed to do, but these are four things I try to do in my own life when I don't have a passion, because i tell you, again, I'm honest. I don't always find motivation. Number one, remember who you are or who you were before Christ. Go home today and think about how far God had to reach into the pit to pull you out. And when you do that, I promise you, you'll gain a passion to see people saved. We were so deep, by the way, in that pit of sin, all of us. We were so deep that there was no way we were getting out. And yet God reached down, as Ephesians 2 4 says, What did God do? Because of his loving kindness, because of his mercy, what did he do? He made us alive in Christ. You may 11, well Christ. Think about who you were before Christ. Number two, pray for opportunities. I'm convinced that the church in America today does not see God move because we are not asking God to move. I'm honestly convinced today that we're not seeing God move in our midst today because we don't expect God to move. I want to let you know a secret, a little secret. And I'm, not, I'm not perfect, I'm far from it. I have days where I falter times that I falter, but one thing I pray is, God, I expect you to move. God, I believe that you are going to move. See, when we pray for opportunities, God will give us opportunities. My wife and I are praying for our neighbor. We live next door to Tanya and Wesley Combs. I'm not praying for those neighbors, by the way. (laughs) I think they need our prayers, but I'm not praying for them. I'm praying for them, but not that way. We have a neighbor next door we're praying for. Every night we're asking God to give us an opportunity to witness to John. Give us a chance to invite him to Easter. Give us a chance to talk to him. He knows I'm a pastor. I'm convicted, though, because I've never told him about Jesus. So I'm praying. And I believe God's going to move through that. Number three, number three, this is challenging now. Take one time this week to fast. We say, Pastor Nick, I've never fasted before. That's okay. Start with a meal. Give up a meal. Give up your breakfast time, your lunch, your supper, and guess what you do? You pray. We say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, talk to me. I'd love to keep you accountable. I'd love to do it with you. I had a professor one time tell me this. He said a a guy came to him and said, I really want to learn to lead somebody to Christ." He said, I'm really praying about somebody in Christ, but I've never seen anybody come to Christ. And he said, well, I want you to take two days and fast. So the young man did. Two weeks later, he came back. He said, I've led somebody to the Lord. Fasting gets the heart of God. It gets the attention of God. If you really want to see God move, give up something like that in your life. Number three, fast one time a week. And then number four, practice, practice, practice. Take every opportunity you can get to tell somebody about Jesus you say, well, I'm too nervous. I haven't done it before. That's okay. You know what you can do? Simple invitation to church, right? Why don't you come to church? You're going to hear the gospel proclaimed. I promise you, the gospel is going to be pr- proclaimed from this pulpit. It's been proclaimed every Sunday for all these years. It's going to continue to be proclaimed. You invite them to church. You say, well, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Hand them a track. Practice, practice, practice. Take every opportunity you can get to lead somebody to Christ. And what a privilege that is. You really want to get excited not just about a Duke basketball game, okay? You really want to get excited, go lead somebody to Christ. What a privilege. What a privilege to be used by the Almighty God of heaven and earth to lead somebody to the saving knowledge of Him. That's a privilege. I'd love to see that. I'd love to hear stories, too. I've heard so many stories lately of just how many opportunities pastors on the staff have led people to Christ. I can't take it for the sake of time, but... Take every opportunity you can get. Practice, practice, practice. And number three, I'm almost done. Number three, the third essential ingredient in true repentance is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You notice the art there? Admission, restoration, thanksgiving. You'll never forget that now, okay? You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Thanksgiving. Notice Jonah in verse 8. He acknowledges that the faulty use of Lying vanities, or some of your translations might say worthless idols or vain idols. They're they're worthless. And then he gets to verse 9. He says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Repentance should always lead to thanksgiving. Repentance should always lead you to thank the Lord for what he's done in your life. Just like not witnessing is a problem in your heart, if you aren't thankful for your salvation today, there's a problem. There's a problem. You say, well, how did Jonah offer sacrifices? He doesn't have an animal to offer a sacrifice. He's been swallowed by one. How does he he have an opportunity to sacrifice something to the Lord? How does he offer his vows the same way that you and I do? Psalm 51, 17. What does David say? He says this. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. What does Jonah bring as a sacrifice? A broken heart over his sin. A repentant heart over his sin. I want to say this, and I want to be clear. No matter how far you have run from God, no matter where you are today, you are never too far to offer the same thing. You are never too far to say, God, I am wrong. I am sorry. Now, Satan wants to say, You're too far, God. Satan wants to whisper in your ear and say, Why would God want you back? Have you ever been there before? Satan will say, You can't do that. You've sinned. Too much. You have nothing to offer him. I want to say this, and again, I want to be crystal clear. That is a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the enemy. You're never too far gone for God to reach down and pull you out of the pit of sin. And some of you might even hear that and say, but you don't know what I've done, Pastor Nick. You you don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know how far deep I've gone. You don't know the things I've done. Can God's mercy really reach that low? I want to say this, and I love it. I love to preach, and I love to say this. I want you to know, if God's mercy will go down to the sandbars in the ocean for a rebellious prophet like Jonah, God's mercy will go as far as it needs to go to get to you. You're never too far gone for God's mercy in your life. And Jonah is a great example of that in your life today. He's a great example of somebody who went after God, even in the midst of his sin and then you'll see verse 10 verse 10 and the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land that's the biggest example of indigestion ever recorded in the Bible (laughs) that fish had the biggest stomach ache and Jonah was delivered He couldn't digest a prophet. That's pretty hard to do, especially when you're called by God. One thing Jonah discovered, and I'm done here. One thing Jonah discovered was that even when he ran away from God, God was right there with him. God was right there with him. He never left him. And friends, I want you to know this too. No matter how far you go, no matter how long you stay silent, no matter where you go in your life, God is still there with you. He's still there with you, and He's ready for you to repent. The remedy for our rebellion is repentance. Are you running from God today? The answer is to repent. Will you pray with me this morning? With every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to encourage you this morning to search your heart, The altar is open for you. Number one, if you don't know Christ, the gospel is for you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and he's ready to forgive you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know we are here up front to talk with you, to counsel you. We want you to come to know Jesus. Today, as the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Please come forward if you don't know Christ. We'd love to talk to you. Number two, if you're here... And you say, Pastor Nick, I'm a believer, but I'm struggling with something. I'm running from God. I, I know I need to repent. Friend, the altar is open for you this morning. You can come deal with God today. He is ready. And by the way, He's there with you right now. And so I pray that both of those things will take place today. We're asking God to move. The altar is open. Pastor Paul is here. He'd love to pray with you if you need that now. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for allowing us to open it freely in this place and to proclaim it boldly. We're mindful of Jonah's rebellion, but we're also reminded of his repentance. And in the midst of all that, your mercy. And God, we are grateful that in the midst of those situations, you moved. And so we pray, God, as the Spirit is moving in this room, that lives will be touched. We're grateful for this time. It's in your son's name we pray.